0: के भाई या पापा कोई है?
1: बताओ क्या हुआ? वो आके मुझे ही बताएँगे।
2: Welcome. Did any of you identify with the adult characters in that film? Have you subconsciously or unconsciously allowed biases, social norms and expectations to hold back our girls from the fields of science, technology, engineering and math? We all have. We all do. And we all must stop. Welcome to We The People. Tonight we're asking, are are we unconsciously and our gender biases unconsciously holding our girls back? Especially in the fields of science, technology, engineering and math. Why are young girls presented with kitchen sets on their birthdays while boys are given toy robots or construction sets? Why is it that women make up only 14% of the workforce in these fields in India? And how can we enable our girls to pursue STEM education and careers? And beyond that, how can we increase and retain more women in STEM? First, I want to go across to an organization that we've partnered with on this show because they've put the spotlight on this critical issue. Leading skincare brand, Ole, which believes the world needs more women in STEM and has launched an initiative to achieve that, an initiative called STEM the Gap. Now, the brand has unveiled this hard-hitting film which we just showed you, sparking off this conversation because that film, it highlights the lived experiences of young girls who are taught that STEM is not for them, which is far from true, really. There's no scientific proof of that. Well, joining us now is Priyali Kamath. She's a senior vice president at Skin and Personal Care Asia Pacific, uh, the Middle East and Africa for Procter & Gamble. Thanks for joining us, uh, Priyali. Good to have you on. You know, uh, Ole is not a brand, honestly. Like, you know, it's not a brand that one would think of when we think of STEM. I mean, it's a it's a beauty product, right? So first, I want to just understand this. How did STEM the gap? How did this idea begin? Why does Olay want to associate itself with this? Why did you pick this issue of everything to throw your weight behind?
0: So, Sarah, you know, um, Olay for many, many years has been a big supporter of women in one way or the other, right? As most brands, we are supporters of the consumers who buy the product. And in our case, it's, it's young women. And we've always tried to champion, you know, their causes, their rights, um, their freedoms. As a brand that champions women, as a brand that has a long history and tradition of science, one of the things we observed, both as a company and in the work that we did with consumers, is that we were seeing a very low percentage of women being represented in STEM jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, Even as I talked about, you know, the R&D scientists we have, as we go out and look for recruitment, it's not that you would always get an equal number of applications from women and men. Or once you get women in, you know, we we, were, we found that it wasn't very necessarily very easy to keep women. And so we realized that we needed to do a lot more to drive and encourage women to be in STEM because the shocking fact, and this is an India statistic, is we predict that in the next decade or so, more than half of all jobs, and maybe, you know, some estimates say up to 80% of all jobs hmm. are going to have some aspect of STEM in them, yet today yep. We look at the workforce in STEM, only 14% are women. So that's a huge gap, right? 14 to 80%. And if we don't do something about it, there's going to come a future, very a future that's not far away, It's just 10 years out, where our girls are not going to be, be able to participate in the workforce if we don't change this. And that's mm-hmm. the genesis of the program. So uh, where
2: do then do the qualified women scientists go? We're saying 40% of graduate students uh, are uh, women, but only 14% end up in the workforce. What happens to them in the end? I mean, they've just fallen off the map.
0: I think it's a great question. And I can't say I know the answer 100% because yeah, you know, we don't... There's, no, yeah, there's no research uh, behind this. But I will tell you my observations and what I think uh, you know is fairly evident being an Indian. So the first and foremost is that a lot of them drop out of the workplace uh, when they hit critical life stages, right? So when you get married, when you have children, those are the life stages when a career in STEM, which by design tends, you know, tends to be maybe high stress, long hours, requires some degree of, of travel. That's the point in time where social conditioning and even society today will discourage women from pursuing that at the cost of what they would consider the more traditional roles. You know, be a mom, be a wife, look after your in-laws, things like that. So, you know, how often have you and I heard stories of things like you? there's a people, you know, in conservative families, mothers want daughters-in-law, parents want daughters-in-law who are qualified doctors or engineers. But once they get married, and especially once they have kids, don't work. Yeah. You know, so they want you there because at that point they want the daughter or not to be focused on looking after the husband, looking after the children. So that is where I think a lot of the dropout does happen. Mm -hmm. There is also a separate, you know, conditioning that happens, which tells women there are other jobs perhaps, which are easier for you, which allow you to better balance, you know, the family and, and your, your career. So take those jobs, you know, those jobs which are typically less stress and therefore also frankly less uh, you know, less career progression, less pay in the long run. Yeah. So, so that is where
2: I think the women are going. And and the irony is, there's really no difference between the ability of boys and girls to be successful in STEM when a child is born at 11 playing field. But and also, as you said, especially worrying because these fields include some of the fastest growing highest paid jobs of the future like computer science and engineering. So this must be addressed. But I want to let me go across then. Let's take a break here. Let's go across to a woman who has managed to overcome the odds and is a major success story in her field. At the top of her field, we have Dr. Soumya Swaminathan, Chief Scientist of the WHO. Thank you for your time, Dr. Swaminathan. India produces the highest number of female graduates in STEM disciplines. 40% of STEM graduates are women but only 14% of the research jobs are occupied by women. So I'm assuming these are qualified women scientists. We're just trying to understand where do they go?
3: Again, um, Sarah, I think it's also a lot depends on your exposure when you're a child. And certainly I had an unusual childhood because I grew up in a research institute and I was surrounded by people discussing masters and PhD theses. However, most uh, school children, I think, are not even uh, probably hearing the word research. I hope the pandemic has changed some of that because I think for the common person today, science and research and clinical trials and efficacy and all of these things have become day-to-day words. But I think we need opportunities for our school children. We need good science museums. We need, you know, good science laboratories in schools. We, we have to inculcate and encourage that spirit of uh, curiosity that children naturally have. But unfortunately, our education system, you know, ends up killing that curiosity rather than kindling it. And so this is where I think we have to provide opportunities. And once you kindle that spirit of curiosity, then I think we will see many more people wanting to go into research.
2: All right. And thank, you know, you brought up the pandemic. So there's also an urgency to stem this gap, uh, to the stem the gap campaign because the pandemic could have actually uh, set us back when it comes to the gains made in overcoming gender imbalances, especially in STEM. Thank you for that reminder, Dr. S- uh, Swaminathan. And beyond this, Ole is taking action to support STEM education girls in India, launching a STEM scholarship program in partnership with LEED, which is India's foremost school ed tech player. And joining us now is Smitha Diora. She's a co-founder And co-CEO of Leeds, Smita, give us an example, please, of how one can break out of our subconscious biases while teaching STEM to girl students.
4: Uh, It's very important for biases not to uh, step in. And school is a very important uh, space in a community where yeah. we can actually uh, build the right mindsets and build the right uh, thought processes right mm-hmm. so you know the the lead curriculum actually very uh, you know very deeply uh, uh, addresses these biases and i'll give you examples right so for example in language class uh, whether it's an english language class or a hindi language class the texts and the sort of stories that the students are reading they actually very proactively broke break stereotypes and biases so we That's have true. stories around fathers who are cooking and ah. you know, uh, moms who are professionals uh, you know this this child who wants to be you know a girl child who wants to be a scientist and these are subtle cues that we have in our yeah. curriculum which addresses these uh, biases and does not allow for them to creep up at all the other way to address these stereotypes and biases is For slightly older children, we actually talk about it very openly and we work around it, you know, that these are the stereotypes and are we, you know, what are the pros and cons of having a stereotype? And what do we want to do in our community to break out the stereotypes? You know, yeah. you would typically do that with kids in middle school.
2: I want to uh, open this up now. We have, uh, uh, you know, a, a reminder that we stand on the shoulders of women who have come before us. I want to introduce uh, Professor Rohini M. Godbole, Professor at the Center for High Energy Physics, uh, the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore. And we have Dr. Shraddha Maheshwari, a neurosurgeon, a founder and head of the Department of Neurosurgery at uh, the Dr. R. N. Cooper Hospital and the hpt medical college in uh, mumbai dr maheshwari to you first uh, i i've looked you up and i i know that you know you you've been blessed with parents who encouraged you to reach for the stars uh, but can i ask you how was the rest of your experience as a woman professional uh, in this field was your experience as encouraging as your parents reaction
5: uh first and foremost, thank you, Sarah, for having me on this show and congratulations to Ole on uh picking up such a sensitive issue and uh you know taking a lead in India for this. Um yeah, uh well parents have been extremely supportive and uh, I think I'm really blessed to have them. Uh if they were not there, definitely this was not something that I would be uh, doing or at looking at. Uh as far as work concerns are, uh there are um, I think uh once I entered neurosurgery, I did not know that there were such a uh, few uh, women in this uh, field. So sometimes ignorance is bliss. And uh, maybe that's what worked for me. Uh, I did not knew. So, uh, you know, when you don't know, uh, the certain biases are not there. But of course, slowly, as I started realizing, I started seeing small. That happen when you are, uh, you know, looking at work and uh, things like that. So um, uh, that, of course, happens. Uh, but two major points where I think uh, where the biases are most is uh, once you pass out and uh, you start off on your own. And uh, second, uh, the second challenge happens uh, when you uh, take up roles uh, which are of leadership. Uh, where, uh, you know, uh, you are uh, trying to do something niche, you're trying to do something, which others are not doing. Uh, These are the two places uh, where uh, the biases become uh, very uh, dominant, and uh, very discouraging, if I may say so, but uh, you have to hold your ground and take yourself forward.
2: You have to hold your ground and take yourself forward. Uh, all right. And let's uh, bring in uh, Professor Rohini M. Godbole. Uh, I'm. We're honored to have you, Professor, because you're one of the pioneers of Indian women in science. You're a professor at the Center for High Energy in Physics at uh, the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore. You're an Indian physicist with uh, academics uh, and academics specializing in elementary particle physics. Field theory and phenomenology. She's an avid supporter of uh, women pursuing careers in science and technology. She's also co-edited the book Leelavati's Daughters*, a collection of biographical essays on women scientists from India. Uh, professor, you've you know you've been a pioneer in science, charting the way forward for women uh, in STEM. Uh, but uh, well, you know uh, when you graduated, I think you were just Three women out of a class of eighty. What was that like? And where are those uh, three girls? I'm assuming you were one of the toppers. Actually, we were three girls, and
6: uh, in the Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, and we were in the top five. So we were doing very well even then. One of them, uh, she did her PhD in geophysics in Indian Institute of Geomagnetism. And she was a professor in one of the colleges in Mumbai. And another friend of mine, she did a PhD in Kanpur. And after that, she was with the Swiss Development Agency. Hmm. So I would say that both of all of us employed our science education, took it to the limit. All of you,
2: you're so inspiring for all of us. You know, the generations have come. We've basically come where we are because we've stood on the shoulders of women like you, ma'am. But um, So I want to understand what we can understand from this because we've looked at the numbers that uh, we have a a large number of graduates who are women, but then they don't uh, end up working. They certainly don't reach higher management and senior positions. But going by what we've seen, not just, especially in STEM, from your experience, but we've seen this in the regular board exam results, the toppers tend to be the girls. Exactly. But eventually in life, they're not the toppers or the most successful. So this is a very good question
6: you have asked. And in fact, many years back, on behalf of Indian Academy of Sciences, along with the National Institute of Advanced Studies, (NIAS). I actually and a team, uh, we actually held a small survey to find out and talk to the women who actually left science after doing PhD. Because you can imagine that anybody who trains so hard, obviously is not happy leaving that. And it's also not just a question of her not being happy. Mm. It's a question of the amount of resources that we have invested in this person's training also go waste. So from a very economic and pragmatic point of view, we wanted to understand why this happens. And actually, I mean, I don't want to take time to describe the details of the study, but the interesting point was that not just the women who left science, but also men and women who continued in science, all of them said, yes, one of the reasons is the family mm. and the responsibilities, the critical periods, etc. That was already mentioned by the Vice President uh, Preeti Kamath. But the other point, and I think that is the more relevant point, is that many of them said they could, did not continue for lack of opportunities that were commensurate with their training.
2: Oh my God.
6: For the attitudes which were not welcoming on behalf of the institutions, on behalf of colleagues, on the side of the society, like Preeti Kamath mentioned very clearly, or yes. I think Priti Kamad, that the mothers-in-laws, you know, or mothers, or fathers, not not just mother-in-law, even the parents themselves would say, "Ab to PhD ho gaya, So okay. the feeling, particularly in science, I mean, as a particularly women who take a career in science, the attitude of the society, including mm. the mentors, yes. is that Jab tak a PhD, yes, that's very good. You get trained. So we have
2: to change this attitude now. We've established there's a problem. How do we fix it? We need to change this attitude. But Very I want to first good. look we at. We need to change this yeah, attitude. But I wanted, let's try and get in someone from the next generation, right? We'll contradict your experience with one of the next gen, uh, girls in science. We have Ayushi Nayend joining us and her mother, Sumita joining us. And Ayushi, everyone, a big congratulations to her. She's one of the geared up girls. That's an all girls team. Who made a robot called Shakti, whose motto is "We're coding the future." We're all female. They encourage young girls from Daravi to take up STEM subjects, and uh, she represented India at the Robotics Olympics in Dubai. Congratulations! A huge honor to have you on the show with us. So, you Thank know, you. I want to ask you why she. Um, You work with uh, creating a world of confident and fearless girls to reduce inequality in STEM, right? Tell me a little bit about this confidence gap because research has shown there's no innate cognitive biological difference between boys and girls at birth, in school, and then as they graduate in math. But there seems to be, we're told, a confidence gap that girls lose confidence in math by about third or fourth grade.
7: Um, I think what you said is true, but I think something that you need to consider is the opportunities that everybody has. Hmm. So um, coming from Dhirubhai Ambani International School, I think my school and my parents have played a key role in um, allowing me to pursue my passion for STEM. And I think that's something that every girl needs to have, because I understand that everybody is equal and I strongly believe that everybody is equally capable of excelling in STEM. But as pointed out by the previous speakers, I think over time, it's the tendency to divert away from STEM because other priorities Hmm. sort of come up and you feel as though your career in STEM would not be... Um, would not allow you to sufficiently devote time to your other responsibilities. So
2: Ayushi, when you work with girls, young girls who are from the Dharavi area, they don't have the same resources you have. They don't have the backing, the support of parents probably. So what do you say to them? How do you uh, get them to stick
7: with this? So um, interacting with those students was actually a very enriching experience because one thing that I learned was that they were very eager to you know, learn about these robots, learn about how to program them, how to construct them. And all they lacked was the opportunity, which is why my friends and I decided to sort of start an awareness campaign to encourage more girls. And it was very interesting to learn about their concerns about how automation is going to take over the manual labor jobs of their parents. And one of the primary concerns about technology growing so rapidly. But uh, something that they really enjoyed was learning how to um, be involved in STEM, and they also acknowledge how um, that they're excited to learn and so that everybody they just, just wants a, to
2: be given a chance. They'll prove themselves if given that chance. But okay, I want to go across to your mom, Sumita, Nainan, uh, congratulations. We need more moms like you. But I want to ask you, Sumita, when you watch that uh, that uh, film that we played at the top, uh, what yeah. did that make you feel? And how have you managed to achieve this? Do you did you have to consciously tell yourself? This is how you want to bring... And do you have a son? do, you, Like, how have you navigated this parenting process?
1: Thank you for having me around here. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I am a PhD in engineering myself. So I have been fortunate enough to have very supportive parents because my father was an engineer and my grandfather too. My husband, my son, we are a family of engineers and people in STEM. So I think I am fortunate for Hmm. having that opportunity way back in. I think I did my engineering in 1990. So I was fortunate to have that opportunity. So I think my daughter grew up in an environment like that And then the school and being in a city probably has been a very big advantage for Mm. her too. And the school has an excellent environment. So at home, we did have that uh, environment where all of us were equal. So my son is an engineer and she had all the opportunity to do whatever she wants to do. So I think what we need to focus and
2: target, you know, the the first generation learners, because if we can catch them there, We can perhaps set off a whole cycle of change and affect many generations going forward. That's what I would say the takeaways from talking from uh, talking to you. So, okay, let's go back. I want to then. So, Priyali, uh, you have said, as have our other. Uh, speakers, that we've understood, right? There are certain careers that don't lean to a conducive work-life balance. You get what you put in. In 2017, the Niti Aayog reported that uh, uh, a report on women in science made some recommendations on best practices to promote women's entry and retention. So, what? Now that we've established this is the problem, we know that women tend to leave uh, after even doing their PhDs. What can we do to fix it? How do we be uh, how how can we be aware of the problem and correct it?
0: I think there are three things that I will talk about. And, uh, you know, interestingly, these are three things where we have very deliberate programs in PNG, where we've acknowledged this issue. And I will say it's STEM and even goes beyond. But it's 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 the issues that stand in the way of having adequate gender diversity across all levels and all functions and all fields uh, when it comes to the workplace. So I think the first and, you know, often underrated um Uh, underrated aspect of encouraging women in STEM is role models. Okay. There's a popular saying that, you know, I can't be what I don't see. And I think this is incredibly true. So making sure that we have strong, the the few women that are there that, you know, have made it to the top of their career in STEM or, or even otherwise into senior management positions, how are we putting the spotlight on them so that other girls can look up to them and say, "This is what I want to be one day." The second thing that I think companies need to do is take a hard look at policies, you know, benefits yeah. and policies. Because um, interestingly, this is an area where we think everything is is very equal, but there's a big difference between equality and equity, and yeah. this it comes to you know comes to play in a in, in a in a very visible way. So, for example, one of the things we realized was that we had a pair, we had maternity leave for women, right? Which Obviously, most women take, but we did not, interestingly, have paternity leave. for men. So as a result, what was ending up happening was there was an implicit assumption that when a baby is born, it's the mother who will take time off from work and the father doesn't have to do anything. And that is unfair, I think, both to women and frankly to men. And what it ended up doing was that women were losing big chunks of their career every single time they took maternity leave, whereas men had that advantage to, you know, to quote you because they put in. Right now, because the company has equalized parentally, regardless of gender, it allows couples to share that burden and share it equally so that they are the, the the so that both the burden as well as the privilege, honestly, of child rearing is enjoyed by both and careers are not disadvantaged because you're a man or a woman. And finally, the last areas we've just gotten far more deliberate internally in PNG, ensuring that. At the point of dropout, which is somewhere between middle management and senior management, when women are in their early to mid-30s, we see the big yeah. dropout, right? We are being much more deliberate on working to see that we have fair representation or equal representation of women on slates for new roles. The slate is, you know, where we put names up for of potential candidates for the hiring manager to choose. And we found just by the act of putting more women's names into slates, we're seeing more women getting picked. Because often what happens is we as, as individuals, and I will say this is true, men and women, make assumptions about others. And yeah. we realize that on the slates there wasn't adequate representation of women, despite women having great performance reviews. Because mm-hmm. the assumption made was, you know what, she's she recently got married, so she won't be mobile. You know, if the job required her to travel, to relocate somewhere. Or she's got small kids, she's not going to want to do this job. It's got long hours or requires travel. Now what we've said is, those may be true, but let's at least ask, you know, give the woman the chance to say no rather than us assume that she's not going to make it.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ole, for walking the talk. We can make these fields more welcoming for women. We've all got to pitch in in our own ways. We've got to learn, not, you know, be part of the solution. Provide a solution, don't be part of the problem. And it's time to change these statistics. It's time to address these gender biases, consciously understand how we knowingly and unknowingly reinforce them with the language that we use, with the things that we say. And hopefully that day is not too far away. Thank you all for joining us and to all our panelists for being so candid with your stories and your experiences.